Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 147. Today's episode is all about talking about depression. I used to really think that depression was 50-50, a traumatic event that happened to you versus just luck of the draw genetic thing. And I don't think that anymore. And it took a lot of the conversations that I'd had over the years. And I think that trauma has a much bigger role than I realized. Well, and I had a misunderstanding of trauma too. I thought trauma was like, you got hit by a car. That's a trauma. You see someone get shot. That's trauma. A trauma can be growing up with an alcoholic parent. A trauma can be five years in a toxic relationship. And it's, it's called complex trauma. And um, so often in conversations I have with people, there's something that happened. You know, then often immediately after it happens, there's this resilience, there's this like psychological adrenaline where you go on with life anyway. But it, it rots you from the inside until it's really coped with, until it's really addressed and managed. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? actually go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews actually trigger the iTunes algorithm so I rank higher, which helps me attract even better guests and helps me reach more people. Plus, when I read them, I just get so lit up inside, it fuels my soul. So I wanted to read a recent review that I got that I actually kept going back to because it made me so happy. It says, number one podcast by far. Melissa and Mind Love have made a bigger impact on my mental health than years of therapy. It's incredible the insight I gain and every time I listen to an episode. Whenever I'm feeling down, my first instinct is to search through the Mind Love library and there's always an exact episode I needed to hear. So thank you so much for that review from Shay Baby. And if you want to possibly have your review read on the show, please leave one. You know what? I want to start off today by just asking, how are you feeling? This is more of a check-in for you, so don't just let the autopilot, I'm fine, snap back. Really though, ask yourself, how am I feeling? How am I feeling in this moment? How have I been feeling this week? How have I been feeling over the last few months? I think a lot of the times we are overwhelmed with all these things that we need to do, or we're trying to decide what to say, or we're just replaying some past thing that we did or we said. But way more beneficial is asking yourself, how do I feel right now in this moment? And then just sit with that. Allow it. Don't attach some overarching label to it quite yet. Just allow yourself to sit with it. Maybe even ask, what's in this for me? What is this feeling trying to tell me? That's actually what I've been working on the last few weeks. 
all of these changes in the world and moving and this pregnancy and changes with my body, I've had a lot of feels. And that whole thing I said about feeling without attaching labels to it has been kind of hard, actually. It's been quite a while since I've suffered from actual full-blown depression. And that period of my life coincided with my biggest life traumas. My dad had just died. I lost a friend to suicide. I was still processing both sexual assaults. And I numbed it all the way out in any way that I could, which just manifested itself into depression, among other things. After letting myself spiral for a few years, I decided I needed to do something, and I slowly started to work myself out of it. I changed my surroundings, I started doing yoga, I made good friends. Sure, I still had my ups and downs, and I still do and probably always will, but I haven't categorized it as depression in a long time. And because of my experience, I created certain beliefs around depression, like that the moment you make the choice, you can start to work yourself out of it. I did, why not? Well, then 2020 came, and certain struggles that I haven't felt in years came back to slap me around for a little bit. The difference now is I wasn't just thrown into the hole, I was down there with a bunch of tools that I could use to dig myself out of it. I've done over a decade of healing and self-exploration and mindset work, so I didn't feel as clueless about what to do about it. But it has been humbling because I think over the years, I had forgotten how difficult and all-consuming those feelings can be. How the last thing you want to do is grab one of those tools when there's the option of eating cookies and binge-watching Netflix. And I know that there are a ton of you out there struggling. Maybe full-blown everyday depression. Or maybe just depressive episodes that hit you unexpectedly. Or maybe even just like a dull cloud that follows you around. Things aren't terrible, but they're really not that great either. They're just gray. It can be hard to talk about. You don't want to feel weak or bring other people down. You don't want people to feel like something's wrong with you or feel sorry for you. You don't want people to think that you're incapable or to think less of you. There's all sorts of reasons why you can tell yourself not to talk about it. But there's also some really important reasons why you should talk about it. Getting things out of your head makes them easier to process. It helps you feel connected. It shows you that it's more common than you might think. There's also growth and vulnerability. It helps other people feel less alone. And most importantly, it's really freaking healing. So today, we're talking about it. We're talking about depression. And our guest is John Moe. John Moe has had a hugely successful career. He served as host of national public radio broadcasts like Weekend America, and his reporting has been on major broadcasts. He's written for top publications like New York Times Magazine, and he's also human. He's suffered from depression and decided to open up the dialogue and start talking about it with other big names in a way that's not often talked about, with humor. He now hosts the podcast, The Hilarious World of Depression, and he has a book of the same title. And today we're going to open up the dialogue with you. And three key things we will learn are how to give new meaning to our labels, how mental illness can actually be used as guidance, and how to give yourself grace during low periods. But before we dive in, do you ever wish you could start each day on a more positive note? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. 
It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome John Moe to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So what is your story? Why did you end up, you call yourself a professionally depressed? How did you end up there? How did I go pro? How was I so good at doing this that uh, I was called up to the professional ranks, you ask? I mean, it depends where you really want to start the story. I've been dealing with depression myself since about age 12. Didn't get it diagnosed till I was 35. Just thought it was weakness and a character flaw and um, something that I was doing wrong because I'm dumb and bad, which of course is the the model of depression uh, perpetuating itself. I was really called into action to do it and, and took it on as my role on the planet after my brother died by suicide in 2007, after a long, uh, undiagnosed, untreated depression of his own. That's the event where afterwards I, I realized that This thing that is everywhere, suicide rates are at a 30-year high um, and even higher since COVID, that that this thing could be made better by more conversations with therapists, with doctors, with family members, with clergy, with whoever you want to talk to, uh, whoever is best to talk to. And then that stands a chance of making it better. And silence inevitably makes it worse. So why the hell are we being silent about as, as a society? That just struck me as a deadly approach to take and also just a really stupid one. Like you can, you know, you can choose this path and people will live and this path and people will die and we chose that path. That's stupid. Let's keep, let's make it something different. So I've been talking about it for a long time and writing about it and, you know, shouting it from whatever hilltop I can find um, because that's kind of spinning rock in the middle of space. We're just these piles of carbon that are going to just be around for a while and then disintegrate again. What the hell? Let's find a purpose. So I just decided that was mine. Yeah. I feel like there's so many things in life that we're afraid to talk about. There was a really long period of time. I've gone through my own bouts of depression. I suffered with an eating disorder. There's just, I was self-destructive in a lot of ways. And I kept it all inside and it didn't help. But it's interesting because I've always had two versions of myself. One version that was like all about the shock factor. I was totally willing to say things that other people weren't. But there were a few things that were still even off limits to me. And then one day I just decided to like let go of it. And it really started when I thought I had healed from one of the things. <laughs> I, I say I thought because I feel like certain things that we deal with are very humbling and that they'll come back when we <laughs> least expect it. So this time I thought it was over and I was like, okay, now I can talk about it because it's not me anymore. I'm not identifying with it. And then something about that unleashed the floodgates to being able to open up about even the things I was currently struggling with. And what I found is so many of us are dealing with the same thing. We think it's rare, but... Uh, it's actually very, very common. Have you found that by opening up these dialogues? 
Yeah, I mean, that that's what's so strange about it. I had sort of a similar experience where when this thing crept up on me, it was in junior high, which, of course, so many people I talked to, that's when it first hit, when that wave of puberty hits and that approaching adulthood kind of feeling comes about. The depression hits really hard right then. But I didn't know anybody else who was talking about it. They didn't cover it in my health class. Um, and, I mean, I knew about puberty, but this wasn't that. And so I thought, well, obviously I'm just a really strange person to just feel this overwhelming despair, to feel panicky all the time and not be able to stop and not know where it's coming from, like what you're even sad about. And, you know, mixed in with that was all the toxic masculinity of of my upbringing in American society and a lot of shame. I mean, shame is, is such a key factor in so much of this. You're, that shuts you down. That builds the shell around you. And so then all the, all the pain, instead of you being able to understand it and isolate it from who you are, just feeds on itself. So that's really common. And I, and I think, too, something I talk about in the book is this idea of the neat storyline because we're a story-driven culture we you know it used to be we would gather around fires and hear the tales of odysseus and now we watch see what's happening on game of thrones you know or or any other show or a movie that we watched it's the same conversation so the movie framework the formula is how we've come to understand the world we're living in because we we soak it up as much as we can, books and movies and TV. And like I was I was hired a few years ago to write a screenplay. I've never written a screenplay before. And I was on the phone with the producer and they said, Yeah, you know, so just give it to us in in the traditional three act structure. And I'm like, oh, okay. Meanwhile I'm Googling what is the traditional three act structure for screenplays. And it's this it's this largely repeated uh, hero's journey, Joseph Campbell uh, story that gets told over and over again, whether it's uh, Star Wars or Schindler's List or a lot of these things. There's a basic arc that's very similar. And in a lot of the stories that we see, things get resolved and get finished and there's an end to them. And so we think that if we feel better having previously dealt with the mental disorder, then we must be free of it. Now the hero goes on to the, wonder what will happen in the sequel because that's in the past. And it's just not like that. It's so actual mental disorders are so uncinematic um, because they are happening so much internally and they might be really strong and really messing you up for years at a time. And then you feel better. And then you think, Oh, I guess that's over with. And then it's, it's really not, it's really not resolved because so much of it just, doesn't get resolved because it is so fundamental. Like I'm pretty well on top of my depression right now and have been for a long time. So I was able to, why I'm able to do the work I'm doing, but I still have guilt that I am responsible for my brother's suicide. Right. I still know that on a deep level. I also know, of course I'm not. Um, he did this to himself, but the presence of that depression, the presence of that guilt and that shame are baked in so deep that I just have to work around it. I just have to consciously manage my way around something like that when it comes up. You know, I like depression's always going to be in the car with me. I just can't let it drive. <laughs> I just can't let it get behind the wheel. 
but it's, it never gets out of the car. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. Right. I, like I said, I found, I found this year very humbling because I, I have a belief that I can change things because I need that for my hope. Because I remember mm-hmm. when I was really dealing with the deep depression and certain people would say depression's with you forever. And, and my conception of that at that time, I was like, well, if this is forever, then why do I want to be here for the, like, for the whole time, yeah. <laughs> you know? And same with when I really dealt with bulimia. People are like, oh, that's one that you never get over. And I'm like, I have to believe that I get over it. Otherwise, I don't have a reason to be here anymore. And so I do have this belief that you can change. And I had it a little bit too strongly for the last few years. And I think what's, what happened is you forget how hard it is to work out of it. And so because I had been out of it or I had it managed for such a long time, and yes, I still have very high highs and very low lows, and I've always been an emotional being. I remember even thinking, because I have a different view about medications, because I was on so many medications, and then I found a way to not be on them, and I felt so much better that that is something I'm passionate about. I think that they should be a crutch, but I think the definition of crutch should be, you should maybe try to have a plan to get off of it. That's my view. It's not everybody's view. And so I got really cocky in this belief, right? (laughs) And then all of a sudden, 2020 hit, and I was in it again. You know, I, I could feel all those feelings, and and I have the tools, I know what to do, but it's like, they're sitting right there and I don't want anything to do with them. You know, like the things I know are going to make me feel better are the last thing I want to do because I think we as humans have this desire to maintain our current level of consciousness, you know? And so if I'm low, I think of the ideas that are going to keep me right there. And those are the only ones that sound good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, some of it just comes down to different vocabulary for the same thing. I'm of the belief that 
we can look at depression as something of a superpower. Like I wouldn't trade the wisdom I've received from depression for anything. Um, because I think it's the same, it's the same thing that made me a comedy nerd from an early age and, and made me a, a professional in the comedy world for a long time is, is that seeing these things from multiple perspectives is a gift. I see things from the perspective of someone who's dealt with depression, which is a potentially fatal illness, but it also, I think, can, can let you see some truths you might not, not otherwise see. My parents were immigrants. My dad's passed away. My mom's still with us. And with them, I discovered American culture at the same time they were discovering American culture and the peculiarities of it and the things that everybody does that, that are really strange. But if you have parents who are also finding it strange, then that's a, that's a received wisdom that you have. And similarly, like depression's been this, <laughs> this really horrible friend for a long time, but it is a friend. You know, and, and we've been through a lot together. So I don't think of it in terms of getting rid of it. I just think, think of it in terms of like, okay, how do I need to treat this relationship with this friend? And for some reason, I have a knack for being friends with people who uh, who other people find difficult. <laughs> and, like, and I'm not ta I'm talking about actual human beings here. I just love them for some reason. I just find a reason to love them, and I just do. And so I kind of treat it the same way. I'm not I'm not in a huge hurry to to discard it. And it's in a similar way to my to my traumas. I mean, I've been through. I've been through some bad things. There's wisdom that I've gained from them that I'm proud to carry around and I'm proud to still be walking around. It's a thing that people who've never dealt with this kind of thing often don't understand because it is an endorsement of a logical fallacy. Like you want this pain to go away. You want um, the, the misery that is an eating disorder, the, the obsessive mind, the, the permanently changed and very volatile relationship with food you want that to to go away because you can't bear it any longer and the fallacy is if you die there's no you to not bear it any longer you never get the relief you never get to know the world without the bulimia or or with the managed bulimia whatever you know nomenclature you choose but the the disorder is so powerful, you say, I don't care. And, and I know people who've been suicidal, you know, and I'm one of them. And you just think, yeah, but I can't take it any longer. And that's the kind of power of that disorder that the people that I call the normies in my book, it's really hard to understand. And yeah, you know, there's all sorts of things that go along with with that. When I, before I got diagnosed for the first time, I... I didn't want to go to the doctor to get it checked out because I didn't want to waste the doctor's time, which is so like, to me, it made total sense. Like, oh, but he should be seeing the important people. He should be seeing people who matter, not me. If I take up an appointment, that's somebody else who can't get in earlier. And like, what? But it made sense to me at the time. And you know, now I go to doctors and it's okay. It's a long journey. I liked what you said about, I don't remember the exact words, but something about having a different vocabulary for it. I think that's part of the reason that we have such a hard time talking about it because 
the term mental illness has a stigma. The term depression means something to people that might not be the full meaning, might not encapsulate the whole range of it. And like you said, it can be a friend. It's funny that you said that because I actually wrote that in my notes. I think of things like that as a friend now because... To me, I have a very obvious guidepost of when I need to make changes, whereas some people might just feel whatever, sort of stuck, and it might be easier for them to accept and settle into that moment. For me, it's not because it gets really low. And so it's like I'm either here or I need to do things that guide me towards something that makes me feel purposeful for today or purposeful in my life or connected to other people. And I know it because it gets so unbearable. (laughs) So it's like there is no settling for me. So it kind of is a friend. And I view so much of my life like that. I've gone through a lot of traumas too. I've gone through self-destructive patterns where I've almost ruined my life and to where I'm still dealing with those things today. And the there's these limitations that come up where it's like, well, now I can't do this, or now this is too iffy for me to do, or I'm not allowed to go to Australia. (laughs) Like Certain things, long stories, but instead of being like, well, I can't do anything, almost like with the lockdowns. Well, we can't do anything. It's like, well, what if you got creative within those limitations and viewed those limitations as guideposts steering you in a direction towards exactly what's meant for you? And that's kind of how I view the the hardships or instead of seeing it as something that limits me, how is this going to be an empowering belief that I shift to? The cat in the hat was written as part of a dare. <laughs> and the dare was to Dr. Sims, to Ted Geisel, and you write a children's book using only 30 words or however many it was. It was, it was a very low number. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to tell a whole story. And I can repeat those words, but those are the only words I get to use. And one of them was cat, one of them was hat, the, in. Um, and he did it because he had those limitations. Surat painting Afternoon Le Grand Jeté uh, went with pointillism. I've got to do this whole gosh darn thing in little tiny dots. You know, like the pop singers of, you know, Motown. My God, the art that they put into a three-minute song. Because if it's 3.30, it's not going to get played on the radio. You know, so so everybody has that liberation from their um, limits. Uh, they're set free by their restrictions. I mean, you're right about, about the nomenclature and the... The terminology, even the terminology stigma, I've started just using discrimination. Because when you say stigma, I think you give one out. Like if there's a stigma against mental illness, no, you're just biased. You're just prejudiced. It's the same thing as other things you're prejudiced against. You're judging me as worse because I've got this thing I didn't choose. And I used to see it. I still buy into the term disorder. You know, and I tell people like, yeah, if you're super bummed out about what's happening right now in the world, that's a very healthy response to what's happening in the world. If it means you're not getting out of bed or your kids aren't getting fed, that's a disorder. All a disorder means is it's disrupting the efficient operation of you and your life. But really, more and more, and you know, and I know people who have all sorts of different uh, mental disorders, I see it as more of a difference than a disability. So my my middle child, Kate, uh, is a senior in high school now, uh, was born with achondroplasia, the most common form of dwarfism, the Peter Dinklage dwarfism, we say. And the, the resourcefulness and the wisdom and the worldliness that she has gained from having that condition and operating in a tall people's world 
without being tall. You know, it's, it's made her who she is. Yeah, I mean, she can't run as fast as other people, but she still plays on her school ultimate Frisbee team because she's strategic. <laughs> she can figure out what she And so I think mental conditions can be used in much the same way. I mean, obviously, if it's screwing up your life, you got to you got to manage it. You got to treat it. But, you know, and I'm not I'm not prescriptive about about anything people choose to treat it with that as long as it doesn't harm others. You know, I would be a terrible cult leader or guru because I'd be like, I don't know, try some stuff out, see what works for you. And uh, if that's if that's meds, if that's therapy, if that's yoga, if that's prayer, geez, find your path. Try all of them. Most of them won't work, but maybe you'll be lucky and find a few that are. And if if somebody finds those, geez, more power to them, I figure. Right. That's how medication helped me was I had at one point forgotten what it felt like to not feel that way, you know? And so for me, I needed to have a new anchor of what life could be like. And then my goal was to move out of that and find ways to find that on my own. And it doesn't always work. And and that's just my experience again. And I actually like what you said about just try things out because I think we're all looking for the solution from somebody else, but we are all very different. Different things work for different people. Different things resonate for different people. A hundred people can hear one paragraph of somebody speak in a speech and it like different parts of it re- resonate for each of them, you know, or we read a book for a second time and we're, it's like, it's a whole new book. And so it's just like, instead of trying to find that guru that helps you out of it, the goal should be trying to understand yourself. And sometimes that is through other people's stories because it gives you a new perspective that you couldn't see before. And then you can try it and you're like, this totally worked. This totally didn't. But without that, and even you're using your daughter as an example, I think so often we create these stigmas or we see these differences or these judgments and all the judgment does is it closes you off. You can feel it in your body. You feel contracted when you're judging somebody, when you're not accepting them, when you're not listening to their version of a story and being like, no, that's not how it should work. But what if instead our whole, our whole goal was to be receptive to other people's stories and see how much of the world that we could gather and learn, like what does somebody with that life experience have to share with me that I can then take with mine. Uh, that doesn't mean you need to take all of it, but just parts of it. And it's, I think it's so interesting to be able to hear what people have gone through, how they've dealt with it. And just the goal shouldn't be finding the one way it should be finding the acceptance for all of it. And that includes the highs and lows of your own life. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people who are uh, very devout evangelical Christians, and they have a, a belief that there is an order, and and if they, you know, th- this is the truth, and this is the way. And I'm so jealous. Like I've never been able to think like that about much of anything. And you know, I I wouldn't want to now, but I think there's something very appealing about that kind of certainty. But it is an individual thing. At the same time, these methods of of treating something or treat, you know, helping manage a life. Cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical, EMDR, um, you know, uh, mindfulness and meditation. Like there's John Kabat-Zinn. There's all sorts of approaches. Those exist and have become popular because they work for a lot of people. So we do know a bunch of things that could work. And it's it's sort of like ordering at a sushi restaurant, right? It's like you know, you you don't order the number six, and that's the whole meal. You just say, okay, I'll have some of this. I'll, I'll do do a little bit of that. I want to say a sushi restaurant because buffet restaurants always make me feel kind of gross, um, especially but, now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, especially now. God wouldn't go near. But 
you know, I, I always tell people too, and I, I kind of paraphrase from my friend Maria Bamford, the comedian, like whatever weird thing you're going through that that you think you shouldn't tell even a therapist about or a doctor about because it's so weird that, you know, it's shame. There's a name for it. And there's somebody probably selling a book about it right now. Like we're not really as special as we think we are. We're not, you know, we're not unique. Uh, we're not a hundred percent unique. And so, you know, Maria had this thing with intrusive thoughts where, uh, and she talks about it on stage, um, where she would suddenly become very afraid that she would do sexually inappropriate things, especially to members of her family and close friends and like violence and, and harm. And, but it was, it wasn't that she was actually about to do those things. It was more of almost like a vertigo thing of like, uh Oh, what if I do this? And it was a looping, intrusive thought. And then she she said, I said, well, how did you finally figure it out? She's like, I Googled it. <laughs> I looked it up and found that it has a name. And I found a therapist who has an office down by the Petco, and I'm a lot better. <laughs> so, um, you know, and so it's, it is, you know, there, there's comfort in being an individual and there's comfort in not being uh, so special also, I think. Right. I have those same, or not the same feelings, but something similar. Whenever I stand on the edge of a building or like when there's just a guard at the t- at a rooftop, I always, I'm like, oh, do I need to step back? Am I actually going to jump? Like I can feel the nerves in my body start to twitch. I'm like, I actually feel really yeah. good right now. I want to be here. I don't know why I'm about to jump. Did you, watch Free Solo? Did you watch that movie? Free I did Solo? watch that. Yeah. I did. That's the same thought I had throughout. Like, oh my God, what if he just does it? <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. It's interesting though, because um, I was just talking to my friend because I did text a friend during this COVID experience. And I was just like, I think I might have actual depression again. And uh, and she was, she ended up, she's a great friend. So she just called me immediately instead of texting back. It was my like little cry for help, I think. And I was just having a low moment and, and, uh, she, we had a conversation and one of the things she said was, you know, I think some of us that have dealt with depression have kind of a PTSD with it where then we start to feel down and we're like, oh my God, this must be depression. And I totally do relate to that where it's like, oh my God, I'm going to get here. Oh my gosh. And I have a love hate relationship with labels because at times it's like, oh my gosh, it's that name it to tame it idea where it's like, there is a name for this. I'm not alone. Let me use it. But I almost see it that I have to use it as my definition of a crutch where you use it for a while and try to wean yourself off of it because I find that I can often have the tendency to box myself in. And if I'm like, I have depression, I have depression forever. It's really hard for me to get out of it. Whereas what if it's a new experience? What if COVID is a whole new experience for all of us? It's not necessarily depression. This is just a world trauma that we're going through and there's going to be deep parts of it. And maybe clinging to that label isn't really serving me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a very healthy instinct on your part to, um, you know, a big part of, of the cognitive behavioral therapy approach is that you, you have the, the experience and you don't, you don't try to like block it out. You fully inhabit it. You know, you, you give yourself the kindness really and the respect to fully experience what you're going through and then 
let it move on, you know? And so, so you don't try to run from it. You know, you, you face it. You, I mean, there's lots of people use different metaphors. Uh, 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 Rachel Bloom from crazy ex-girlfriend told me that, that uh, her favorite is like, there's a bird in your barn and you can know that there's a bird in your barn and then open the barn doors and don't build a nest for it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let it have a permanent home, but, but take the time to respect it. I mean, I think with COVID, like I I have friends who say, who've been, who've dealt with depression who are like, yeah, this is kind of the thing that, that I've been rehearsing for a long time. And now everybody's going through it. This sort of idea of, Oh, there's something horribly dangerous and you know, it might get you. And so you better just stay home. It's like, (laughs) we know all about that. Um, and, And now like, there are people buying their first pair of sweatpants out there. My God, can you imagine? <laughs> and I think to that end, a lot of people who have been through an anxiety disorder, an eating disorder, uh, and a, you know, a recovery from an addiction, have I hesitate to say an advantage, but some some wisdom. You know, I know what works for me in, in a depressive episode. I know what helps with my anxiety. And so I can start doing those things when this starts to flare up. Whereas a lot of people who've never experienced this kind of dread and fear and uncertainty and remorse probably in a lot of ways are new to this and they don't know how to do that. And so suddenly like, you know, it's like knowing how to start a fire without matches. <laughs> we have these skills that, that we can use out in the world. But, but I do think it's healthy too to say, okay, you know, is this – the textbook version of depression, which a lot of people don't realize, you know, you can have depression. In my case, I had depression, even though I've never been a can't get out of bed depressed person. And I don't even like the Smiths. And so you can have these, <laughs> these uh, experiences that aren't, that aren't textbooks. So you can measure it against that. You can say, is this like what I was going through before? Okay. What helped with that? What didn't, how is this different? What might help with that? And, and so much of, life with a mental illness is um, just having the extra layer, the extra burden, I guess, um, conscious mind management that the normies don't have to worry about. The normies can walk into a party and say, hey, hooray, I'm at a party. (laughs) Let's meet people. And those of us with more interesting, complicated minds have to go through a lot of thought processes before and during an experience like that and often afterwards. And to some extent, that's just the cards we were dealt, you know, and so now that's, that's our brain and, and you got to figure out how to manage it. Right. It, I find too, whereas some people have those things, well, like we were talking about before, where we need to just kind of figure out what works for us. And part of it is understanding yourself and being willing and like vulnerable with yourself to, to try mm. different things and actually tune in and say, is this working? How do I feel now? And there's some people that have their one thing. It's like, this is the thing that always gets me out of it. I always think of my husband because he's such a routine guy where he's like, I'm going to start doing this. I wake up at this time now and I take my cold shower and he does that every day. It works for him. I'm like, oh, cold showers are awesome. And then like three weeks later, I'm like, I need something totally new here. (laughs) This is not working for me anymore. And it's like that with all of my healing, I've noticed. It's like, okay, right now with my disordered eating, it was It was eating really slow and eating outside and not having anything around. Then that wasn't working anymore. I had to try something new. And so 
uh, my brain is also like, sometimes it has the ADD tendencies. And so I need to constantly switch things up to keep it fresh, to keep me motivated to come back. And so I think some people can get discouraged that, well, this thing that used to work for me isn't working anymore. I'm just destined to be depressed. But it's like, maybe for you, that's your cue to then find a new tool. And it reminds me of a story that somebody told me he had, he had bought his mom a Fitbit and, or his mom bought a Fitbit and it's like, mom, why did you buy that? It's a gimmick. Like this only works for, like, it's proven that people only stick to these things for like three months and then they forget about it forever. It's a waste of money. And she's like, yeah, well now I have my plan for the next three months. And after that, I'll find something new. And I was like, (laughs) wisdom, mommy. (laughs) It's absolutely true. It's, it's, uh, it's finding finding the path, and I, and I think it's also. I mean, it sounds like she's giving herself a break. Like she's not giving herself the burden of having to figure out the rest of your life. But it's also general. Like it's also knowing to not generalize. If I decide that my exercise plan is going to be running a marathon and training for a marathon, which is incredibly time consuming, and then I say, oh. That didn't work out. I guess exercise isn't the thing for me. No, that exercise isn't the thing for you. And a lot of people, like when I first did meds, I was on, I think I was on Zoloft the first time and it was really corrosive. It gave me like a sort of burning feeling. And I'm like, oh, I guess meds are bad. And I I went to the doctor for the regular checkup and he's like, oh, that sucks. Let's try a different med. And I'm like, Oh yeah, they, there could be different, you know, <laughs> and, but I mean, I've been, I was on uh, one prescription for years. It worked great. Then suddenly it didn't. And then I switched to something else that didn't work either. Then I switched to a third thing. It worked great, you know? And so it's, it is this kind of an ongoing effort, but it's also knowing like self-help books aren't all one thing. Religion isn't all one thing. Meds aren't all one thing. And, exercise is one thing, you know, and, and it really is that burden of research that, that falls to you. And also I, I love that story about the Fitbit because it's also just giving yourself a break and recognizing that all those efforts, you know, it like you assessing how you're eating outside and whether that's working for you or not is such an act of kindness that you are giving yourself. You are loving yourself enough to take care of yourself in your mind and figure out what's best for you. And let all those things be a reminder that you are a kind and loving person and capable of doing that on an ongoing basis. Take the time to be proud of yourself for being kind and take time to accept the kindness that comes from yourself. And the world gets a little bit nicer. Right. And even even in that moment, you're like, maybe I didn't fix this bigger issue, but this was a win. This was a win in itself. Celebrate your mini victory for not beating yourself up and digging yourself a little further into that hole. And I've also found that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also found that there have been things that I tried at one point that didn't work for me at all. And then I came back to them later and all of a sudden it was super helpful. One example of this was meditation. I tried to meditate for a long time. And then I became a yogi and I, everyone else was meditating and I was like, I really hate this, but I'm going to pretend that I love it. And all, <laughs> all this stuff, like I need to fit in. And then one day I just 
had this desire to go meditate and I meditated every single day at least once for 20 minutes for like six months. Now I'm pretty good at it. I, I go on and off. COVID has kind of lost my structure with things. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like the example I used earlier of reading a book for the second time and suddenly you become a new person after you read it the first time. And you read it a second time and you're now this person reading it instead of the person you were before. And same with You've de- you've lived another six months. You've had more life experiences. You maybe have healed certain parts of your life or you've burned other parts of your life. And now you're coming to the tool again as a different version of you. And I think we can cling to these old ideas for ourselves. But what I like to do is constantly see myself see myself as somebody who is constantly expanding and then being curious about who I'm going to be showing up to this moment with this person and this tool now and just trying to accept everything every new experience every little bout of depression as a new version instead of like oh here I am again yeah there are challenges to that one I always think of is social media and <laughs> I finally the novelty wore off of something like Facebook a long time ago. And I tell people now, like, if you see me, I've said this on Facebook, if I'm posting something here, it's because I'm trying to sell you something that I've made, like a book or a show or something. This is the purpose of Facebook now for me. If you don't like that, that's fine. This is all it's going to be for me. Because what really was messing with me was this idea that people who – I had naturally evolved away from were still there and it felt like ghosts. I had evolved out of their lives. I'm not saying I'm such a better person than them, but we've gone our separate ways, which is how life feels like it ought to be. And then here, you know, below a a picture of my kid from yesterday is somebody I hadn't seen since sixth grade saying something weird. I'm like, this is just, this is, this is wrong. And this is getting in the way of, of like you said, that kind of evolution, that kind of who you've become. I recently got a an invitation to my high school reunion, and this is the 35th high school reunion. And I just knew I didn't want to go because it was that same sense of like, I'm just not that guy anymore. It's Perseus's ship where everything's been rebuilt over the course of, of a long time. And I'm just a different dude. You know, I struggled for a long time at, to whether to go to those things because I thought, well, you know, I should be in touch with who I was and I've had more professional accomplishment than almost all these people. I should understand who I truly am. And I'm like, oh, no more of that. I don't, want, I don't want to carry that around with me. I'm thinking of just sending my book to the reunion and dressing it up in a little suit and then <laughs> putting a picture of me on top of it. Like, here, a lot of you are in this book. It's a memoir. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That I have never looked at it that way, but I've looked at so many other parts of life as that way. Like, I've always felt the pain of when a friend slips away, a close friend. But I evolve so quickly. I'm always growing. I've gone through a lot of things and I'm always seeking to understand. And the party girl version of me in my 20s, a lot of those people I was hanging out with didn't necessarily evolve out of it. And so there was a period of time where I had some friends for like 10 years that I was like, but they're my 10-year friends. I've moved around a lot. They're my longest friends that I have in the world right now. And so I don't want to let them go. But I could just feel the energetic difference no matter what. Little like the fights would come up that didn't make sense that I'm like, this doesn't happen with anything else in my life. And I'm like, Oh, because we're not aligned anymore. And, and I went through a whole process of understanding that, okay, people are in your life 
exactly as long as they should be. And you should, you don't need to cling to that. Just release them with gratitude for what that they brought you to now. Without them, you wouldn't be the person you are now. And I see that very clearly, even if it is, even if I go through a mourning process. But I've never thought of that with Facebook. And that is going to be something that I probably reference back to quite a bit because, you know, I've always viewed it as like, well, it's kind of cool that you can just go your separate ways and you at least have this little string. But why? That little string attaching you to that old version of you can also be looked at as an anchor to that old version of you or a trigger to (laughs) bring that old version of you up, which I've already released. I had this great experience with this with deciding not to go to this reunion because there was a little, they made a little Facebook group that I I joined and then later quit. (laughs) There was this guy, Kelly Kasimba. I haven't talked to him since graduation in 1986. I remember two things about Kelly. One, that he was like the nicest, kindest person. And two, that he was the most heavy metal person in the whole school. And (laughs) like just so heavy metal, which was a big thing. And he's gone on, he's been in heavy metal bands ever since then. He's 52 now. You know, so I saw him on this group. I'm like, Kelly, I really appreciated you in high school. You were so nice. You're so funny and kind. And you were more metal than anybody, which I admired. And I just, you, you're just a really warm spot in my heart. And he said, oh, thanks. I, I loved you too. You were great. I hope to see you at the reunion. I'm like, I'm not going to be there, but take care. Goodbye. <laughs> the last time I'll ever speak to him. But it was it was a way of honoring what it was and then just, you know, freeing both of us from what it might be. <laughs> I love that. Given that you've spoken to so many people about their stories of depression, you've brought some humor to it, you've had these real conversations that so many people are afraid to have. What do you think has been the biggest lesson that you've learned that you didn't know before? opening up this dialogue? I used to really think that depression was 50-50 of a traumatic event that happened to you versus just luck of the draw genetic thing. And I don't think that anymore. And it took a lot of the conversations that I'd had over the years with other people, with my therapist, with myself, with my family. And I think that trauma has a much bigger role than I realized. When I look at my dad, who passed away in 99, and he, he was a person with alcoholism, but he was also a person who was nine years old in Norway when the Nazis took over his country, came marching down the streets of Oslo, which is where he lived. He didn't know if they were going to be there forever, and he didn't know if he was going to live because lots of people didn't. My grandfather worked at it as a printer and printed one of the resistance newspapers, one of the underground papers. My dad delivered that paper on his bicycle when he was 11, 12 years old, rolled up the paper, put it in the handlebars of his bike so nobody would spot him. Trauma, you know, a heroic resistance effort against Nazis who should always be punched in the war. And still trauma. His parents didn't love each other. Uh, His parents were married because he was on the way. So he was an only child. And, you know, that's just what was done back then. The other thing that was done back then was not going to see a therapist. There weren't any uh, to deal with all this trauma. And so people kept it inside and they smoked and they drank. And so that's what he was taught to do. And that's what he did. And that's how he managed his trauma. It didn't work very well. And then he couldn't stop drinking. And so he didn't catch alcoholism 
as it drifted through the air. It was a result of trauma. It was a result of it. It was Hitler. <laughs> you know, it was, it was inhumanity. That a lot of that trauma has been passed down to me because I was nurtured by a traumatized, untreated, traumatized person and often not nurtured. And so when you grow up as the child of an alcoholic, you learn not to count on people. You learn to keep your distance because they're not going to give you what you need. You've got to have, you got to go find it yourself. To this day, like as a writer and an audio maker and even as a musician, I have a very difficult time collaborating because I can't trust other people because they're going to they're going to let me down or I'm going to let them down. So this this trauma gets passed down and often so often in conversations I have with people there's something that happened. You know, then often immediately after it happens there, there's this resilience there's this like psychological adrenaline where you go on with life anyway but it rots you from the inside until it's really coped with until it's really addressed and managed. I think that there is a lot of a lot of trauma in the world. And I really worry about coming out of COVID. Well, and I had a misunderstanding of trauma too. I thought trauma was like, you got hit by a car, that's a trauma. You see someone get shot, that's trauma. A trauma can be growing up with an alcoholic parent. A trauma can be five years in a toxic relationship. And it's it's called complex trauma. It's still trauma. You know, we're all going to have to face that coming out of this. You know, and my, my, my youngest daughter is 12. And she's like, oh, I'm going to bore my grandkids silly with tales of the, the summer of, of COVID and life under <laughs> Trump and all these things. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, because you're being traumatized right now. Like, let's make a plan for you when, you know, coming out of this, of how you're going to address it, because it's it's in there now. So I've, I've come to understand uh, more more and more, and, and I want to discover so much more about the role of, of trauma and depression and, and all sorts of other things. Right. I see that. And on one hand, yes, it, it makes me worried for what's going to happen immediately afterwards because there's going to be so many people ill-prepared to deal with that trauma. However, I look at my life and it's all of my trauma that helped me to develop the resilience that I have today. And I think all of the most interesting, strongest, most complex people I know have gone through something really deeply hard. And for some people, this is their first thing. <laughs> this is their biggest thing. And so there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a dip. There's also going to be an ascension, I think, as a whole of people that collectively came out of something together, that have something to learn that they'll be able to take with their life. And so that is what gives me hope through just all the craziness. Yeah, no, there's uh, war buddies who are in foxholes together. Like, yeah. you know, they, they've been something hard together and, you know, and there's a liberation that'll, that'll come with it. Again, my dad describes the day that the Nazis left, you know, and all the things that happened in the city. And he's never, he was never happier than he was talking about it. You know, and then there's, then there's the cleanup that has to happen. <laughs> We're going to be a collective psychological post-war Europe is what I'm saying. You know, our liberation's just going to be the day the massage parlors open back up. <laughs> the karaoke bars where we can go sing on the same microphone together. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared today and just for being willing to open up some of these dialogues that people are afraid to have. So for the people that want to learn more, that want to be a part of these conversations, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at John Moe. I'm online at johnmoe.website, the suffixes.website, because I thought that was funny. You could buy my book, The Hilarious World of 
of depression based on my podcast, The Hilarious World of Depression, uh, which is soon going to arrive at a new carrier. But I can't announce it yet. And yeah, you can find it all there. If you buy the book, I encourage you to buy it from your local independent bookstore because a purchase at a local independent bookstore is an investment in wisdom and kindness in your community. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 147. So your challenge this week is to take an assessment of how you're feeling. Be honest with yourself with no judgment. And regardless of where you are, whether you land in the depression realm or you're just feeling down or you feel awesome, challenge yourself to open up to someone about it. See if you can connect with someone you trust. I'm not saying you need to go start a podcast about it unless you feel really called to. I'm just saying it's really important to make these connections and to break the stigma, starting with yourself. And you never know who you can be helping when you do open up. I've told this story before, but the very first time I ever spoke openly with someone about my bulimia, I just felt called to do it like I needed to. And the friend that I opened up to looked at me with wide eyes and she was just like, oh my gosh, I just started purging my food. In that moment, I just knew that I was supposed to open up about this. It kind of led me to what I'm doing today. Now don't go expecting that same outcome, but you never know the impact you have on somebody else's life. Sometimes it could just be a thought in their head where they think, wow, if she can open up about this, I can have this other hard conversation that I've been meaning to have with this other person. Or maybe it just shows them that they can release some of the shame they've been holding on to. Or maybe it just deepens your friendship. Whatever it is, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. It takes strength to be vulnerable, but I tell you, it feels so good. And if you need to, just reach out to me. I'm always here to listen. Just connect with me at MindLoveMelissa on Instagram. So there are a few ways to support this show if you really love this episode or any of the episodes. Number one, please share this episode with a friend who you think might need it or any other episode with a friend or take a screenshot and tag Mind Love Melissa on Instagram. Another really, really, really important way that you could support the show is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. iTunes specifically, even if you listen on a different platform, if you just feel like giving me a little love by going to iTunes, finding Mind Love, and actually tapping that little write a review, leaving it five stars and all of that, it really, really helps the growth of the show. It helps Mind Love show up sooner in the algorithms, which helps me get even better guests Plus, every time I get one of those reviews, it totally just reinvigorates me for what I'm doing. So for all of you that have left a review before, know that for a moment, you totally lit up my heart and I love you forever. So other than that, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 